0: Out front next, breaking news. Donald Trump removed from Maine's ballot. We are reading through this decision right now. Plus, newly revealed emails and audio recordings showing how Team Trump made a chaotic and frenzied push to overturn the 2020 election just hours before January 6th. It is a CNN exclusive and five years in Russian captivity. CNN has new exclusive audio of American Paul Whelan making a desperate plea from behind bars, a plea directly to President Biden. Let's go out front. Good evening, I'm Erica Hill in for Erin Burnett. Breaking news tonight, Donald Trump kicked off another state's 2024 ballot. Maine's Democratic Secretary of State just moments ago issuing a decision which bars Trump from that state's ballot. In her decision, she cites the 14th Amendment's insurrection ban. The decision can be appealed in state court, an appeal that is almost guaranteed given Trump's legal team had already demanded The main secretary of state recused herself from the matter, pointing specifically to tweets she wrote saying Trump had engaged in insurrection and should have been impeached. Trump's attorneys say she showed bias by prejudging the matter. This main ruling, of course, follows a similar decision in Colorado. It's at odds, though, with other decisions in Michigan, Minnesota, Arizona, and New Hampshire. The Colorado Republican Party saying it has asked the Supreme Court to overturn that Colorado ruling. Many legal experts expect the Supreme Court will settle this issue for the entire country. Paula Reid is out front with more on this breaking news for us tonight. So, Paula, I know uh, we are all going through this right now. What more are you learning? What what do you see here in this decision?
1: Well, Erica, Maine now becomes the second state after Colorado to ban Trump from the ballot based on Section 3, of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And let's break down exactly what that says. Under Section 3, it holds that office holders who engage in an insurrection are borrowed from future uh, ever holding office in the future. But while it lays out some specific offices, it does not specifically mention the president or the presidency. So we have seen this question of Trump's eligibility based on the 14th Amendment litigated across multiple states Uh, with different outcomes. Again, this has been litigated across over half a dozen states, but Maine and Colorado are the only ones that have concluded that he should be removed. Other states, for various reasons, have opted not to remove him. Some of those decisions uh, were procedural. Uh, Initially, even Colorado said, look, it doesn't specifically say uh, the president, so this should not be applied to him, even though that state in a trial found that he engaged in an insurrection. But that state's Supreme Court overturned that lower court ruling And that has been appealed, at least by the Republican Party of Colorado, to the Supreme Court. And Erica, when you have a a state split like this over a key constitutional question, that is really the right time for the Supreme Court to weigh in. Though they have been asked, again, by the Republican Party of Colorado, former President Trump has not yet filed an appeal with the Supreme Court in Colorado. Obviously, it's too soon to do that in Maine, but we expect he will likely appeal in that state as well. Now we're waiting to see if the Supreme Court wants to weigh in on this issue, but it would be something that would be beneficial for all the parties involved here to get clarity from the Supreme Court because we've seen in states like Minnesota and Michigan, even though they've said, look, we're not gonna ban him from the primary ballot, they left the door open but this whole issue to be relitigated for the general election. So this issue right for Supreme Court review, we're waiting to see if they weigh in, and this main decision also on hold until the Supreme Court reveals if they're gonna step in and offer some clarity or not.
0: Yeah, well, in terms of that clarity, we even heard from the Secretary of State in Michigan on the heels of the decision in her state, saying specifically, "We, I would like to see some clarity and some finality from the Supreme Court. So we will, uh, we will wait <laughs> for the Supreme Court to tell us whether they're taking it up. Paula, thank you, stay with us. We're gonna be back to you in just a moment. I do wanna bring in, though, Ethan Strimling, who's one of the main residents who challenged Trump's eligibility for the state ballot. He's also a former Democratic state senator. Uh, Ethan is with me on the phone tonight you being with us Um, so first of all just your reaction to this decision from the Secretary of State
2: it's a good day for democracy good day for our Constitution you know the the law in the United States should apply to everybody no matter what position you hold or held and uh, our Secretary of State today after you know clear objective deliberation made the right call and uh, as I said democracy was served
0: Um, as I don't need to tell you this, but maybe for the folks at home, this is the next step in Maine is an appeal. An appeal is likely, as we know. Um, When we look at the similar challenges that have been out there, a challenge succeeded in Colorado to take Trump off the ballot, which as Paula was just going through, has now been appealed, likely to go to the Supreme Court. Are you confident that this decision in Maine would be upheld in a Maine state court?
2: I believe so. The issue of whether Donald Trump is an insurrectionist, you know, there are now two... Courts that have deemed him an insurrectionist, and now there is uh, the judicial body in Maine that oversees our election, our Secretary of State. So that's three different judicial bodies. Um, Two of them have now determined that the 14th Amendment clearly applies to um, former presidents. So I feel like, you know, our courts will recognize those. Look, anybody who watched this saw that it was an insurrection and saw his involvement in it. And if you read the 14th Amendment, it is absurd to imagine that the 14th Amendment would apply to every elected official in the country but the highest officer. So uh, I feel like the I haven't read all the details of the decision yet. It just came down. Mm -hmm. But uh, from what I hear from our attorneys, people feel very good about the decision, well-reasoned, well-thought-through.
0: As you know, you've heard in other states when it comes to the pushback on decisions that given the fact that the former president has not been charged, that Jack Smith did not specifically charge with this, there is some skepticism as to whether or not this would play out in fact the way you said it, it did and it would rather and whether um, this does in fact apply how do you respond to those allegations
2: well there's two ways number one again as I just mentioned two courts have deemed that he incited an insurrection and now um, one of our constitutional officers in Maine the highest uh, officer that oversees our election has deemed the same thing so three bodies have now deemed that he was an insurrectionist so it's false to sort of claim he's never been charged with that and found, in essence, guilty of that. Yes, there has not been a criminal charge around it. But, you know, it's interesting, in doing some research about the 14th Amendment, there was no crime for insurrection uh, that was on the books back in 1868 when this passed. They understood what insurrection was. you didn't have to have it on the books, and they didn't charge any of the Confederates with it. And yet Jefferson Davis, obviously, and other Confederates were not allowed to uh, hold office. So uh, I think those arguments are pretty weak. In the end, Uh, our Constitution is clear. You cannot violate our Constitution and then uh, violate your oath and then run for office. Uh, That piece should be held, I think, no matter what.
0: Ethan, really quickly, the clock is ticking here. Um, Super Tuesday, Maine goes to the polls. We back time, 45 days. This basically needs to be settled by January 20th to get the ballot in order. Are you confident that will happen?
2: Well, I hope so. I mean, this ruling is a very strong ruling, and so we hope that uh, this will be upheld and that his name will not be placed on the main ballot. If it goes up the line and gets to the Supreme Court, hopefully they will rule very quickly.
0: We will be watching for all of it. Ethan, appreciate you jumping on the phone with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Also tonight for you, a CNN exclusive, new audio. And new details about the great lengths the Trump campaign went to to overturn the 2020 election, including talk of chartering a private jet to bring fake elector certificates to Congress in time. All of this revealed in emails and recordings from pro-Trump lawyer Kenneth Chesbrough, the architect of that fake elector scheme, who is now a cooperating witness in multiple investigations. According to Chesbro, the Trump campaign's top lawyer was frantic after learning from another top aide that fake elector certificates from two key battleground states, Michigan and Wisconsin, were stuck in the mail.
3: The general counsel of the Trump campaign is freaked out that Roman reported that the Michigan votes are still in the sorting facility in Michigan, which doesn't look like they're going to get to Pence in time. Oh, well, that's it off a
0: frenzied scramble. And this was just two days before the insurrection, that scramble to get the documents to then-Vice President Pence by any means necessary, including looking into chartering a private jet to Washington to make sure the fake certificates would arrive in time for the election certification on January 6th.
3: So the, the General Council campaign was alarmed and, and was chartering. Well, they didn't have to charter a jet, but they did commercial.
0: The stunning details almost certain to figure prominently in the case Special Counsel Jack Smith is building against Donald Trump. Paula Reid is back with us out front. So, Paula, what more can you tell us about all of these new details? Well, Erica, let's start with what this incredible new reporting means for
1: the federal and state investigations. Now, we know that the fake elector scheme features prominently in the federal indictment against former President Trump. Now, we've also learned that some of the people involved in these this specific incidents have spoken with federal investigators. Now, this instance is, it's vaguely referenced in the federal indictment, but at this point it's unclear really how prominently it will factor in any eventual trial. We know that case is currently on hold while the former president appeals some of the larger constitutional issues. Now, Ken is an unindicted co-conspirator in the federal case. And our colleagues have learned that he and his lawyer actually reached out to the special counsel back in October before he entered a guilty plea in the Georgia case, but they haven't heard back that Smith basically left him on read. I mean, he has not responded. And it's unclear, Erica, if that means that they don't want to use him as a witness, that they think there are credibility issues, or if they're just kind of putting the co-conspirators to the side and focusing solely on Trump. But I want to remind you, he's also, Chesbro is also a key cooperator uh, in other states. He has entered a guilty plea in Georgia. He's also spoken with prosecutors in Michigan, Nevada, and Wisconsin.
0: Reed, appreciate it. Thank you. Out front now, Karen Friedman-Agnifolo, former federal prosecutor who worked with special counsel Jack Smith, and John Dean, former Nixon White House counsel and Watergate whistleblower. Karen, um, we're going to get to all of the new. <laughs> We've got a lot of new tonight. Let's really quickly, though, if we could talk about Maine for a moment. What do you make of this decision, Karen, by the Secretary of State saying that Donald Trump cannot be on the ballot fair?
4: So there In order to run for president, you have to be qualified under the Constitution of the United States. And there's many different requirements to be qualified to run for office. You have to be at least 35 years old. You have to have lived in the United States for at least 14 years. You have to be a natural born citizen. If you recall, Trump tried to claim that um, Barack Obama was not born in the United States and Another example is you can also uh, not run for more than two terms. And and if, if we were talking about any of those qualifications, right, if it ever came out that Donald Trump wasn't born in the United States or if he had served uh, two terms in office, we wouldn't be having these discussions about whether or not he should be on a ballot. so really, this boils down to because the Fourteenth Amendment specifically addresses this issue about if you've engaged in an insurrection uh, and violated the constitution, if you can be if if you can if you're qualified to run and and I think this really just boils down to uh, whether or not, two things, whether or not it applies to the president. And I think that's one of the issues that the Supreme Court is going to have to settle. And what type of process has to happen uh, in order to find you like a due process, right? Do you mm-hmm. have to be convicted? Do you have to down to be, what, what is it? Because there's no doubt if he did engage in an insurrection that that, that disqualifies you from running for office. So, so it's just interesting that, that this is being treated so differently from these other really objective factors.
0: Um, John, when we look at this, perhaps not surprisingly, we heard pretty quickly from the Trump campaign slamming this decision just moments ago, saying in part, quote, Biden and the Democrats simply do not trust the American voter in a free and fair way election. How potent of a political argument can that be? We're hearing this from a lot of Republicans. Hey, leave it up to the voters to decide. Put somebody on the ballot, and they'll tell you whether they should be in office or not.
3: Well, they like to ignore the Constitution. We know that. I think the main decision is very solid. Uh, It was fully briefed. There is ample due process in this uh, proceeding, and they just lost. uh, By a straight, honest reading of the 14th Amendment, Trump's in trouble. He's in trouble wherever this is legitimately raised and addressed. So, yes, the Supreme Court is going to have to uh, weigh in on it. I want to see those strict constructionist and originalist get around that language. How are they going to do it? I don't know. It looks so applicable, Erica. I don't know what they can do with it other than take him off the ballot.
0: It'll be fascinating to see um, what they decide, if they take it up. Um, It would be surprising if they didn't, of course. I also want to get your take, both of you, on this new reporting from CNN about, uh, from Kenneth Chesbro. It really gives us a more robust understanding of this fake elector scheme and the Trump campaign's involvement in it. We know, of course, that Chesbro is cooperating. This is also a window into that cooperation. Karen, how damaging do you think this new information is to Donald Trump?
4: So that's an interesting question, right? Donald Trump is going to always say, well, look, just because everybody else was scrambling and my lawyers, they told me I could do this, right? That That is how he will how he will try to push this off and blame others. But I think this scramble uh, to get these fake elector ballots, the fact that they were going to go to such great lengths to charter a plane if they had to, to get this to Mike Pence, it just really goes to show the desperation and what, what was going going on at the time around this. But I think it's interesting that Jack Smith has not taken Ken Chespero up on his request to cooperate with him and and that he doesn't seem to be interested to hear what he has to say. And if you remember, Ken Chespero's apology letter in Georgia, if you want to even call it that, is basically not an apology letter. He basically regrets doing it, which is kind of what he's saying here too, right? He regrets it because he's being thrown under the bus. So until he comes out and says, Donald Trump knew he lost the election. We were doing this anyway to try to steal the the election from the country. I'm not sure how, how valuable Ken Chesborough ultimately is to Jack Smith, but just see.
0: John, what do you make of these details of this new reporting?
3: I think Karen's point is well taken, that uh, Ken Chesborough seems to have lots of regrets. Uh, he also regrets that uh, the lawyers for the Trump campaign appeared to uh, desert him at one point and he turned on them. Uh, We seem to now know his motive for uh, coming forward and pleading, because he was not going to let the other ones point the finger at him. This is not unusual in a conspiracy, uh, but we don't always have a record of it. But he's clearly explaining it to the prosecutors in Michigan uh, in these recordings. So we we have a little bit more insight, and the reason I don't think that uh, Jack Smith uh, has talked to him doesn't need him. He's got such Mm -hmm. detail already without maybe a a, a troubled witness uh, that he doesn't need to go there.
0: John Dean, Karen Friedman, great to have both of you with us tonight. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Erica.
0: Out front next, Nikki Haley scrambling to explain after failing to mention slavery as a cause of the civil war. So will that gaffe define her campaign going forward? Plus, Donald Trump's campaign has a new look and a new approach led by seasoned strategists. Is it working? to break down the numbers. And another Russian official and Putin ally is dead. The 46-year-old, just the latest lawmaker to mysteriously die since the start of the war in Ukraine.
5: This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like.
6: Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern.
7: That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very
6: concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts.
0: New tonight, growing criticism for Nikki Haley after she initially failed to say slavery caused the Civil War. Haley spending today on damage control.
8: Of course the Civil War was about slavery. We know that. That's unquestioned, always the case. We know the Civil War was about slavery. But it was also more than that. It was about the freedoms of every individual. It was about the role of government.
0: Those comments coming less than 24 hours after she was asked the question that started this all. That simple question, what caused the Civil War? It came at a New Hampshire town hall.
8: I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run. The freedoms and what people could and couldn't do.
9: In the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery.
4: What do you want me to say about slavery?
9: No, um, uh, you've answered my question. Thank you.
0: Eva McKend is out front in Lebanon, New Hampshire. So, Eva, these comments really dominating the coverage of Nikki Haley today.
8: It sure is, Erica, and perhaps beyond the coverage, what's most important is the response from voters here on the ground. We heard from at least one tonight at this town hall event here in Lebanon, New Hampshire, and he asked her, uh, sort of uh, very forcefully, he said, this is a chance to redeem yourself uh, from last night's question where you tripped up on slavery. Will you categorically say that you will not be Trump's running mate? And she did not categorically reject that she only said that she doesn't play for for second place she's not in this contest for vp something that she has said time and time again so the blowback does continue here uh, not only from voters but from her opponents on the campaign trail let's listen
3: i'll make it easy for you if
2: someone asked me what the cause of the civil war was <laughs>
3: It's easy.
9: It's slavery. I noticed that um, uh, Nikki Haley has had some problems with with some basic American history. Uh, She's asked a very simple question and responded with just a really incomprehensible word salad.
8: And listen, Haley will maintain that she continues to have momentum here on the ground. She spent uh, the day campaigning with Governor Chris Sununu, and she is addressing a crowd of uh, folks here in Lebanon uh, with a packed audience. Uh, but she will continue to have to sort of uh, make sense of all of this, Erica.
0: Eva, appreciate the reporting. Thank you. Out front now, Harry Enton, our numbers guru, Bakari Sellers, former Democratic member of the South Carolina House of Representatives, and Jonah Goldberg, editor-in-chief of The Dispatch. And to note for Full disclosure, uh, Jonah's wife previously worked for Nikki Haley. Good to see all of you tonight. Harry, I want to start with you here. Um, When we look at Nikki Haley, she has been surging in the polls. It has been a good couple of weeks for her. You saw something today, though, that really stood out to you. What was it?
5: Yeah, you know, if
2: you look at Google searches and sometimes they can be a leading indicator, today was the day she was more searched than any day outside of a debate in the last six months. So clearly something happened in the last 24 hours. And more than that, the state she was most searched in was in New Hampshire, the state that you mentioned where she has had some poll momentum. And if you look at the term that's been most closely associated with Haley in the last 24 hours in Google searches, it's slavery and the Civil War. I don't think this is the area that Nikki Haley wants to play on, especially she's trying to gain more momentum and potentially overtake Donald Trump in the polls in that first primary state. So
0: so given that, Jonah, we're looking at, obviously, New Hampshire first primary state. Prior to that, we've got the Iowa caucuses. Is this a problem for Nikki Haley moving forward?
9: Well, it's a problem for her today. It might be a problem for her tomorrow. Frankly, I think that this is partly the product of a really slow news week. Uh, she screwed up an answer. It was a bad answer. I don't really like her cleanup stuff on this either, but it's very difficult to make the case, like there are, there are a bunch of voices on the left that want to make it sound like somehow that she's racist when she took down the Confederate flag, she appointed Tim Scott to the Senate. Um, She was on the opposite side in internal Republican fights in South Carolina against the neo-segregationist crowd. She's the children of immigrants. I think this is one of these things where her real mistake is that she gave a very political answer. And I think it has to do with two things. One, muscle memory from having to talk about this stuff in South Carolina, which has got all sorts of issues with this history. And two... Because she was trying to speak libertarian in New Hampshire and give some sort of live free or die state kind of answer. And it just sounded like she got too clever by half, too cute, and thought that she was trying to anticipate gotchas from both the Trump world and from the media. And she messed up. But I don't really see how this is going to have legs when she's said what everyone wants her to say, and we will probably say it five more times, and it's just not that interesting a story.
0: So you noted you know, that she's had to discuss this, and, and I'm paraphrasing what you said here, but what I heard was tiptoe around it in many ways in South Carolina. Bakari, the two of you actually served in the House of Representatives at the same time in South Carolina. As she was trying to clean this up today, she said that basically everybody understood slavery was part of the Civil War. That part doesn't need to be said out loud. Take a listen. I'm from the South. Of course, you know, it's about slavery. I
8: guess if you grow up in the South, it's a given
0: that it's about slavery. Bakari, she says it's a given, but it's important to note when she was pressed on it last night and we played that sound, she deflected. You have known her for some time. Again, you served in the state house together. Were you surprised by the answer last night and by what we're hearing today?
10: So first, I'm not surprised by the answer last night. Second, I I love Jonah, but let me just. Also articulate that in, in South Carolina we're, we're not necessarily intellectually dishonest about our history, but we do know Nikki Haley very well. I, I know Nikki Haley very well. We're both from Bamberg County, a small county that is probably fifteen thousand people total. We sat beside each other. Uh, our desks were beside each other in the State House. We served together. I remember in two thousand and ten when she gave a very similar answer. So to say that this was a you know some type of fumbling. Um, uh, just in this moment, that's not the case. I would actually say that Nikki Haley is immensely talented. I've said that time and time again. I think she's one of the most talented politicos in the entire country. The problem Nikki Haley has is that she oftentimes doesn't stand for much. And when the light shines brightest, you can see that. Let me, let me just also go back and say one more thing, just uh, I, I have to say this because uh, my good friend Jonah said it. Nikki Haley did not take down the Confederate flag. That also is something that is a part of her bravado, a part of her, her, uh, her resume. Uh, nine people died in a church, including one of my good friends, Clemente Pinckney. Nikki Haley takes credit for that. But in order to take credit for that, but then in the other breath, say that she does not necessarily understand or this was a mistake. Because we know that in 2010, when she was running for governor, she said the same thing. So Nikki's problem is a lot larger than just this- moment.
11: Mal- so, yes. To that point, Bakari, can I play I, a little I, I, bit? I we,
0: have some, we have some sound from 2010 that I think it, it would be interesting for folks at home to hear. This is from our, our good friends, our colleagues at K-File. This is an interview from 2010. Some of those comments, take a listen.
8: I think you had one side of the Civil War that was fighting for tradition, and I think you had another side of the Civil War that was fighting for change. Tradition versus change on what? On
0: individual rights and liberty of people. Joan, I think you were about to jump in, but, you know, I think that... that yeah,
9: it, look, not, I didn't say that people in South Carolina are intellectually dishonest about their history. I said that Nikki comes from a branch of the Republican Party that was opposed to... A lot of intellectually dishonest neo-segregationist jackwads on the right side of republic on the on the right wing side of the Republican Party, and she had to deal with that in primary politics and in Republican politics in South Carolina. A lot of those Republicans were up until fairly recently lifelong Democrats who moved into the Republican Party. It's a complicated state. It's a complicated history. I don't like Nikki's answers, but the idea that somehow I mean like you're. The fact that she doesn't say it was about slavery, which is wrong and kind of dumb, um, does not necessarily, there's not the transitive property there that say, therefore, she is somehow racist. I think Bakari's criticism, oh, when he was actually agreeing I mean, with me, in the cool. sense that she really tries he too hard, Jewish she's clear. a lot like Bill Clinton, who like like to take a position to people to please people on both sides. You know, Bill Clinton used to say, you know, I, I smoked marijuana, but I didn't inhale, or I sided with the minority, yeah, but yeah, I would have I, voted with the majority. Yeah. That's the rap against her. And I don't think it's going to last very long because it's kind of hard to explain to a normal person. Like the scandal, the controversy here is she didn't mention slavery, but she says, of course. But then she said, well, of course, it's about slavery. I just don't think there's a lot of there there.
10: I don't think Nikki Haley is racist. And I think a lot of people may, you know, that that's not the conclusion that people who no Nikki would make, you can't. I actually saw Nikki Haley after she went to all nine funerals in Charleston. I wouldn't dare say that. I, 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 that that is, that is separate from the conversation that we're having. I'm, we both may get blasted for that on Twitter, but that may not be real life or X or whatever it's called. What I am saying <laughs> can though, is that she it is, is not prepared She is not prepared to take on. She's Icarus. She's flying too close to the sun. She's not prepared to take on someone who stands on business, as the kids say, or stands on their ignorance, as I would say, in Donald Trump, and would double down on their ignorance. Nikki is flailing. She's digging a deeper hole. She's not prepared for the moment.
0: We're going to have to leave it there, gentlemen. She's done better than all
9: of her competitors except for Donald Trump so far by actually being a good politician. And look, again— I'm not defending what she said. I just don't think it's this incredibly damning thing. We'll see how well, she recovers. We're state, see how you know, it plays out, but I have to cut you minute. both
0: off there. Yeah, by We're all going to get in so big now, trouble.
7: <laughs> also, Harry
0: Enton has done a really good job of sitting here, so good job, Harry. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you all. We'll continue You're to discuss. You're a great sitter, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Out front next, the, the breaking news, new details tonight from the main secretary of state's decision, that decision to remove Donald Trump from the ballot and exclusive new audio of Paul Whelan begging President Biden for help today as he marks his fifth year in Russian captivity. Please use every resource available to secure my release, as you would do if your own son had been taken hostage. The CNN reporter who spoke to him is out front.
8: The assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events.
5: At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent
7: other people from pursuing their education.
8: Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app.
0: Now with our breaking news, the Maine Secretary of State deciding just moments ago to remove former President Trump from the state's 2024 ballot, citing the 14th Amendment's insurrections ban. Paula Reid is out front for us this hour with those new details. Paula, Paul, more do we know it about this decision?
1: Well, Erica, the Trump campaign is saying it will file a legal objection to this decision out of Maine. Now, one thing that is unique about the process in that state is that the first stop for questions about ballot eligibility is the Secretary of State, not the courts. Now, that decision is then appealed, if you would like, uh, to the main court system. But it's unique that this goes to an official who in this case is a Democrat. And tonight, of course, the Trump campaign is seizing on that and attacking her personally, accusing her of, quote, trying to interfere in the 2024 election. That is the argument that they have made uh, for pretty much all of former President Trump's legal troubles. But Erica, at the core of this case, so one of the questions that has been appealed to the Supreme Court, is whether state officials uh, have the authority to remove people from ballots. The first question is, of course, if the 14th Amendment, Section 3 of that amendment, applies to presidents. Another question is, well, if it does, do state officials have the power to enforce that or is it up to Congress? And then another question that has been posed by the Republican Party uh, of Colorado to the Supreme Court is whether you are depriving a political party of their First Amendment right if you remove someone. So even though the statement from the Trump campaign is somewhat hyperbolic in the the attacks on the Secretary of State, the core here are some serious constitutional questions for which we have no answer. We may or may not get one from the Supreme Court.
0: We'll be watching and waiting to see if they take this up, Paula, appreciate it, thank you. Also tonight, the time for a diplomatic solution is running out. That is according to a member of Israel's war cabinet. All of this as the fighting is intensifying on a second front, Hezbollah launching simultaneous attacks on Israel's northern border. The IDF telling CNN 50 launches were detected today alone, 20 fired toward Kiryat Shmona, the biggest town on Israel's Lebanese border. Elliot Gottkind is following all of the developments for us tonight from Tel Aviv. So um, put this in perspective for us if you could when we look at specifically this escalation, Elliot, along the northern border.
6: Erica, the United States has, from the very beginning of Israel's war with Hamas, been trying to deter Hezbollah, which, of course, is an Iranian proxy based in southern Lebanon, by having warships and aircraft carriers in the eastern Mediterranean, and also trying to persuade Israel from exercising restraint. Now, so far, uh, that kind of seems to have been working, but we have seen uh, uh, missiles, rockets, drones being fired from Lebanon, from Hezbollah towards Israel on a daily basis. We've seen Israel retaliating on a daily basis. In one incident today, uh, air raid sirens were set off by a drone being fired towards Haifa. This is one of the most important cities in Israel. It's the home of Israel's biggest port. So things are still simmering. We're not quite at the point where we have another northern front, another full-blown war going on between Israel. Israel and Hezbollah but the problem here is that no one really has much leverage over Hezbollah aside from Iran the Lebanese government doesn't have leverage over Hezbollah and the United States certainly doesn't either so it's either Iran reigning in Hezbollah or Israel threatening to do what it did in the words of uh, Benny Gantz member of the war cabinet former defense minister which is essentially if Hezbollah does not pull back then Israel will make it do so. Back to you, Erica.
0: Elliot, appreciate it, thank you. Uh, With us now, investigative journalist, Kristol Grotsev, he is also on Russia's most wanted list. And retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, a former Assistant Secretary of State for political military affairs under President George W. Bush. Uh, General, if I could begin with you, as as Elliot just laid it out for us there, there, it seems there are sort of two answers here, either Iran pulls back or Israel. How do you see this playing out?
7: Well, uh, if you're talking about the northern front up uh, against Hezbollah, look, I think we need to understand that that Hassan Nasrallah said on October 10th that he wanted nothing to do with this fight. Uh, I think what's happened is he expected this to be short, brutal, but we'd be on to the process now of returning hostages and Palestinian prisoners. I think We've gone well beyond that point, and he needs to, as as he believes he is the leader of the axis of resistance, he needs to ramp this up a bit. I don't think he's serious about an invasion, mm-hmm. but Benny Gantz is right. Uh, this needs to be worked out pretty quickly.
0: Christo, uh, Hezbollah, um, funded, of course, by Iran, you've actually been investigating this connection here between Iran, Russia, and the Hamas terror attack on October 7th. What have you found?
12: Oh, we'll separate facts from what we hypothesize at this point, but uh, what we found uh, with my colleagues from Spiegel and the inside Russia is that since February of this year, there have been continuous trips of Russia's military intelligence units, in particular a unit that is very, very focused on subversive actions, on sabotage actions, on assassinations and explosions, um, to Tehran. And they've been meeting with members of the uh, Iranian Guards. And that um, has been sort of a tendency. We've seen that start in February of this year, and it has continued until September. And then we see that members of this unit, of the uh, GRU, of Russia's military intelligence, also were absent from Russia exactly at the time of the attacks on Israel. So we're looking into where exactly they went, but what, it see, what, what we see at the moment is a very strange preference of Russian intelligence officers to spend time in, in Iran. Mm-hmm. Long stretches of time, stretches of time that are consistent with training, for example. And I don't think Iran was training Russians. It's most likely the other way around. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, was that in any way linked to what happened on, September, on, on October 7th? We'll find out in the next few days, I believe.
0: In the next few days, yes. so fairly quickly. We know you'll come back to us uh, when you have that. As we, as we look at what else is happening in Israel, um, in General, we have the IDF TA saying the IDF rather today saying uh, it regrets the harm that was caused by a strike that the Hamas-run health ministry says killed dozens of people in a refugee camp in Gaza earlier this week. In fact, noting a quote, preliminary investigation revealed that additional buildings located near the targets were also hit during the strikes, which likely caused unintended harm to additional uninvolved civilians. Um, How does something like that happen? Can it be avoided?
7: Well, look, we've gone through this many, many times in the American Army as well, both in Iraq and Afghanistan. When you're firing the amount of rockets and missiles and dropping the number of bombs that you have, inevitably mistakes will be made. It's clear that part of the mistakes may have been a function of intelligence part of it may have been some bad target hearing we can only hope that the israeli defense force is going to do a thorough investigation get to the bottom of why these mistakes happen and hopefully avoid them happening again in the future
0: um when we're looking at this, there's also this news this week, Krista. We're hearing differing reports, explanations from, Harass, from Hamas rather, and Iran's Revolutionary Guard in terms of the explanations for the October 7th attacks. Um, and so there's been a little back and forth. Hamas coming out again. What do you make, though, of this back and forth and the fact that it's coming out now?
12: Well, it comes out now because Iran chose to take credit for it. And it chose to take credit for it because it was... Uh, Pressured domestically to explain how it's going to respond, to, or how it um, it will has responded to the Soleimani killing, mm-hmm. and most recently to the killing of uh, uh, of, General, of Brigadier General Rusavice. So I think it was a forced uh, uh, decision to come out and claim responsibility, in the hypothesis that Russia and Iran plotted this. It would have been a very deniable plan. It was supposed to be top secret. It was supposed to be delegated to Hamas to take full credit mm-hmm. for. And Hamas did that, and they want to do that for domestic reasons. Um, right, they have but, continued Exactly, they've continued out, to yes. do that. And suddenly, it seems that Iran is breaking from that deal because it needs to explain to its own electorate, to its own populace, what it's doing to avenge for the death of these important generals. And I think this disconnect is kind of predictable because they have different interests, different motivations here.
0: Yeah, it is fascinating to watch all of it. Christo, General, thank you both for your time tonight. Out front next, exclusive new audio from Paul Whelan as he marks five years in Russian captivity.
13: This is a disintegrating experience. Uh, Your mind, your body, your soul, everything.
0: And also this video that will likely make you very happy you were not on that plane.
6: Oh, stop it.
0: Tonight, rare, exclusive new audio from an American held inside a Russian prison. Today is the fifth anniversary of Paul Whelan's detention. He tells CNN today his conditions in prison are getting worse. Whelan was arrested in Moscow on espionage charges, which he vehemently denies and is now serving a 16 year sentence doing manual labor at a remote prison camp. Out front now, CNN State Department reporter, Jennifer Hansler. So Jennifer, I know you spoke with Paul Whelan again today. The two of you had also spoken last week. Tell us more about those conversations and what he's told you about the state of affairs right now.
11: Well, Erica, there's definitely a sense of frustration and exasperation from Paul Whelan at the fact that he is still behind bars in Russia five years after he was detained. Now, he set told me it's surreal that he is still in this uh, situation, that he cannot believe that two administrations, the Trump and now the Biden administration, have not been able to secure his release. And you can tell he's getting increasingly concerned that he may not see freedom, that he may be left behind again. He was not included in two prisoner swaps last year. The US government said Russia refused to negotiate for him. And he also said it's, it's very difficult to deal with the fact that he is there. He may not see his parents, who are in their 80s again. He's already lost friends, his beloved pets. This is what he told me about the state of his own mental state right now. Take a listen. I today with, you know, singing the four
13: national or singing the national anthems of my four countries you know, things get progressively worse from there. But, you know, there are people I speak to, I, I make calls home, I write letters, I read books, um, but it's, it's extremely difficult being innocent and in prison and waiting for people to help you. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a disintegrating experience. Uh, your mind, your body, your soul, everything.
11: And so, Erica, I've been speaking to him over the past two years, over half a dozen times, and he is definitely, this is the most frustrated
0: I've heard him about his situation right now. He also had a a direct message for President Biden. What did he tell you?
11: That's right, Erica. He had a very clear message today on the fifth anniversary of his detention. He wants Biden administration to pull out all the stops to bring him home. These were his exact words.
13: (sighs) I'm more than past ready to return home, and I'm counting on the U.S. government to come for me, and soon. The time is now to take decisive action and bring this tobacco to a close. President Biden, please use every resource available to secure my release, as you would do if your own son had been taken hostage.
11: And now, Erica, I should note that the Biden administration has said they are working tirelessly to bring home Paul Whelan. Secretary of State Antony Blinken put out a statement last night saying this is is something they take day to day, that they are not going to rest until he comes home. We know the Biden administration put forward an offer to the Russians
0: for both Paul and Evan Grishkovich, and that was rejected by the Russians. Erica? Jennifer, really appreciate the reporting. Thank you. And joining me now is Paul's brother, David Whelan. So you just heard your brother there. You heard him pleading with President Biden to use every resource available to do this as as what he would do if your own son had been taken hostage, um, Paul's words there. He says he feels forgotten. I know he said that before. Today, it must ring differently. Do you agree with him at this point that he's been forgotten?
13: I don't think so. I think, unfortunately, Paul is uh, his mental health is is breaking down. His resilience is starting to uh, to crumble, and and that's not uh, unexpected after five years. Uh, unfortunately, I think uh, no matter how tirelessly the U.S. government uh, wishes it could bring Paul home, uh, without the cooperation of the Kremlin, uh, it's unlikely to happen. And so, I think there's this uh, very frustrating point uh, with with Paul's situation where <clears throat> he may have to last another eleven years or some part of that. Um, before the uh, U.S. government is successful at bringing him home.
0: You mentioned those efforts, um, and Jennifer just alluded to the State Department saying that Russia had rejected this new and significant proposal as the way it was characterized to secure Paul's release. Are you aware tonight of any other deals that may be on the table?
13: I'm not, and I'm a little bit concerned. I think uh, our family is concerned that uh, we have seen concessions made to the Russian government, uh, concessions that the Russian government had been very clear that they wanted and that we're in the control of the U.S. government. Uh, But now the U.S. government is having to look to third-party allies, other countries to uh, create um, concessions that the Russian government might take. And I I think what we're realizing now is that the U.S. government really doesn't have a clear plan of what it can give to the Russians that the Russians want in order to bring Paul and perhaps Mr. Gershkovich home as well.
0: How does that sit with you as his brother?
13: Well, it's hard. I mean, there's always the worst case scenario, which is that Paul has to uh, be there for another 11 years of injustice. And that would be unfortunate. I think the thing that was now worrying Paul and worrying all of us is, uh, can my parents last another 11 years uh, so that they can see their son again? And I think that uh, time is our enemy uh, all the the way around.
0: Um, We heard Paul there in his conversation with Jennifer describing his daily life in prison. He called this a disintegrating experience, your mind, your body, your soul, everything. Um, And that seemed to be your assessment, too, of where he's at right now. Um, What more has he told you or your family?
13: Well, I think we are starting to see things uh, happen to Paul that had not happened over the last, uh, say, four and a half years um, the physical assault at the end of November really put him on notice that his physical safety was not guaranteed, uh, and up until that point, he'd really only been uh, attacked once by a guard at Laforteva, the pretrial detention facility. So, I mean, that that is something that he's now concerned about, that he wasn't before. Um, the deputy warden is starting to uh, try to shake him down for protection money. So while we are able to make requests to the prosecutor of Mordovia to investigate all of these um he's really on his own. The, the nearest American uh, consular officials are eight hours away by a drive. They can't get there. They can't uh, intervene in these things uh, until something happens.
0: David, we appreciate the time tonight um, and your insight too. And I hope the next time we speak, I know this. Every, I say this every time, but I hope the next time we speak, we do have some better news uh, about Paul. Thank you again.
13: Me too, thanks, Erica.
0: Out front next, Uh, this is a flight that you would have been very happy to miss. Not only does it look bad, but listen to the audio here.
4: Oh, oh,
7: oh, oh, stop it.
0: Tonight, if you have turbulence issues, this would be the wrong flight to be on. Kind of tough to stick that landing when you were dealing with the conditions at Heathrow. You see this flight wobbling side to side as it approached. You know, everything actually seemed OK, we're told, until the plane was seconds from touchdown and the winds really started to howl. Some of the gusts, by the way, clocked at up to 70 miles an hour. This was a flight from L.A. to Heathrow in London. Um, and while that's tough to watch, what's kind of remarkable, too, is when you add in the audio reaction as this plane is coming in for a landing. Take a listen.
3: Oh, 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 stop it. Oh, oh.
0: Sums it up. Remember to put up your tray tables, everything under the seat. Thanks for joining us. AC 360
8: starts right now.
9: Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash country.